Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. Amen. Amen. Listen, beloved, I want to look at a passage of scripture today. I pray speaks to those of you who are watching this morning, and it can be found in the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. I pray that you all are enjoying these summer months and this beautiful weather we've been experiencing and, and truly living your best life. Amen. Second Kings chapter five. I want to read from verses one through 14, and I'll be reading from the new revised standard version of scripture. Second Kings five, one through 14. And here's how it reads, beloved. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram, the man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 cents of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, Know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life that this man sends words to me to cure a man of leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out 
to stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Come on, beloved, let's pray. God, we thank you on this day, and we honor you, O God. We thank you, God, for how day by day you remind us of the peace that you have placed within us, the joy that you have given us. God, the truth is sometimes we don't always lean into that peace or lean into that joy because, well, God, because at times of the troubles of this world. But God, in those moments when we feel lost or disconnected or even far from you, Remind us, O oh God, of which you've poured in us peace that surpasses all understanding, joy that is unspeakable, and a love that covers us. God, we thank you today. We honor you today. And we ask, O oh God, at this time that is ours to share, that those who are listening, will receive what you reveal through your word on this day, that it might give life and strength for the journey ahead. We thank you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. And we say, amen. Amen, beloved. I want to lift a line, a few verses from, 2 Kings 5, 1 through 14, verses 13 and 14. Here's how it reads. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy. And he was clean. Amen, beloved. Listen, I, I want to talk briefly from this idea. Notes from Naaman's healing. Notes from Naaman's healing. Naaman was a mighty warrior. Considered a man of valor and character honored and revered by the king of Aram or Syria, honored and revered by the people. He was a man of status and power. And the scriptures are sure to remind us that part of his victories was connected because during the season of Naaman's leadership, God was actually against the people of Israel. And the victories that Naaman had, even against the Israelites, 
were because of God. Here he was, a mighty man of valor, a man of status, prestige, power, a warrior, a military leader of the army of Syria, Aram. But that, the scripture says, he was a leper. In spite, again, of his status, in spite of his prestige, in spite of his prominence, he had an issue. He had leprosy. Among the non-Israelites, this would not have hindered his progress. And so this is why among his people, his leprosy is not really paid attention to the way it was according to the Levitical law for the people of Israel. Those with leprosy were viewed as ceremonial unclean and had to go through a ritual of cleansing to be allowed to be part of fellowship and welcome back into the encampment of the people. And here he was. He had so much, but I'm sure with all that he had, he would have traded much just to be healed of his condition. All of us in some way, shape, or form, sometimes we have visible issues, and some of us issues that cannot be seen by people, but for some they are our personal and private struggle with things that are not always visible, like name is leprosy, and sometimes no matter what we do, no matter the heights we achieve, no matter what the accomplishments, everybody may not see the issue, but sometimes we know the issue, and it is that thing that plagues us, that thing that hinders us, that thing in our minds, not maybe in the minds of the people, but in our minds that hinders us from achieving the heights we really want. Isn't it amazing that sometimes from the outside, we view people who are successful, but don't always know their personal struggles, don't always know their personal pain, do not know the inner turmoil and the grieving and the weight and the heaviness that they endure because everything from the outside looks like they are the picture of success and the image of accomplishment. It's those of us who live with these internal battles and turmoil that wreak havoc on our spirit. Well, Naaman's issue was visible, but the understanding was real. He was a man that seemingly had it all, but he struggled with the condition, leprosy. Again, I'm sure there's some of us who may be able to identify with Naaman this morning. Maybe, maybe, maybe our issue is not so visible. Maybe it is not something that people can see. But maybe in our own minds, the thing we struggle with is the thing that undermines what we feel is our level of success or accomplishment. Isn't it easy at times how, how we raise ourselves a standard that becomes difficult? We think the reason why we can't reach certain levels is because of the issue we have. Or maybe this, or maybe the issue we struggle with that no one else knows about and no one else even sees and no one else is cognizant of becomes a thing we think that everybody witnesses or think is the thing that hinders us from fully accomplishing who we think we ought to be. And here it is. We sometimes disregard what we've done because of the issue we can't get over, the thing we wrestle with. I know we all know what that feels like. Some of us, those issues are visible and noticeable and obvious like Naaman and others of us, those issues we wrestle with are private and no one sees it, but we live with it daily. Sometimes the burden of what is not seen by people, but felt by you, felt by me, becomes overpowering and overwhelming. 
Naaman's issue again was visible. He was a great man who suffered with leprosy. One of the young women who tended to Naaman's wife, who was taken in one of the battles from Israel, the scripture says she saw Naaman and she told and said that there is a prophet in Israel who can heal you of your leprosy. The young girl said this with such confidence and clarity that they believed what she said. And the scripture says that Naaman then went to the king, his own leader, and asked for permission to go to Israel to see the prophet who he believed could heal him. The king was now convinced by Naaman's desire to be healed. And the king informed Naaman that he would send a letter to the king of Israel and let him know that he was sending his servant Naaman to be healed by the prophet in Israel. And so Naaman gathered what was presumably his own wealth. He gathered the gold and the silver. He gathered the garments, his wealth, and he took that to Israel. I want to pause for a second because isn't it interesting? Naaman had so much, but the one thing he had could not be bought with money. He had so much, even in this text says, the thousands of pounds of shekels of silver and gold and the fine garments he had and the horses and the chariots that Naaman had. But he did not have the one thing he maybe needed or wanted the most to be clean, healed of his leprosy. And so here is Naaman, a great man with not only prestige and status, but now wealth. And he goes to Israel seeking a healing that none of the things he has can purchase for him. He goes to the king of Israel. The king of Israel is almost taken aback by the letter. He thinks that the king of Aram, which is Syria, is making a mockery of him. And the king of Israel thinks that this maybe is a prelude to some attack. Maybe, maybe the king of Aram is trying to find a reason to be angry with him. And he begins to tear his clothes, a sign of his own pain and horror and mourning at what he thought was a future attack again by the army of Aram. But then when the prophet Elisha hears of the king's agony over the letter from the king of Aram seeking healing for his servant name, the prophet Elisha lets the king of Israel know, do not worry, I will take care of this man. And they will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Here's where the story comes alive in a very profound way, in a myriad of profound ways. Naaman now takes all that he brought, his gold, his silver, his garments of fine linen, his horses, his chariots, and they go to the prophet Elisha's house. And to Naaman's surprise, the prophet Elisha doesn't even come out to greet him. Apparently, Elisha is not really that impressed. Maybe, maybe the reason why he's not impressed with Naaman's wealth and his posterity and all that he has is because he knows that Naaman still is in need of something. He wants to be healed, cleansed of his issue. Elisha is not impressed by what Naaman presents. I've often been intrigued by that scene because maybe it's a reminder for some of us today in an age and a culture where we're so easily impressed by that which is superficial. 
We were so easily intrigued by glimpses and trappings and appearances of success and wealth. Maybe Elisha models something different. Maybe it's this. Maybe you don't need to be impressed by what other people have or the lives you think other people are living, especially when you're clear about who you are clear about who God has made you to be. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe the desire is not to seek to attain what we see other people have, but maybe get to a point where we are quietly and confidently clear about who we are and live in that space of clarity and confidence and certainty about our own identity that we don't get easily impressed by people we don't know and people we think have the images and trappings of success, but we don't even know what they're struggling with, don't even know what they're battling with, don't even know what they're going through. We simply want to be what we see, but don't know what they may be going through in their personal lives. That is a message for this age because, again, this is an age of shallowness and and superficiality in such a way that we find ourselves easily held captive by things that really aren't that critically important. And maybe, again, Elisha models to us what it means to become unimpressed by the things people maybe possess, especially when you're clear about who and what you are. Maybe that's the move we ought to be making. Maybe that's the prayer we ought to pray. Maybe that's the goal we ought to set. Maybe that's the desire we ought to have to be so confident and clear about who we are in connection to God and who we are in relationship to ourselves that we no longer desire to be anything else but a full representation of our authentic selves. Think about that, beloved. Think about what it might feel like to live life unmoved by trivial things because what moves you is basking in the glow of your uniqueness and uniquely valuing your uniqueness in such a way that you live fully in your authenticity and don't find yourself capitulating to shallow spaces. That may be the greatest act of rebellion in an age of intoxication by the superficial. Maybe Elisha models that for us today. Elisha doesn't come. He doesn't step outside. He doesn't come to take a peek at Naaman's wealth and his possessions. He seemingly is unmoved to the point where he sends one of his servants out with a message for Naaman. Go down to the Jordan, dip, wash seven times, and you'll be clean. Simple instructions, nothing complicated. Go to the Jordan there in Israel. Wash seven times. And you will be clean. What's interesting here is that Elisha is an Israelite. And and if you read the book of Leviticus around that 14th chapter, I believe you'll see the ritual for those who have leprosy to be cleansed. It is an extensive ritual. But here, Elisha cuts through the ritual of cleansing to be healed from, from leprosy and simply tells the man, go to the Jordan Dip in there seven times and you will be clean. But look at Naaman's response. Naaman isn't angry first at the response, 
but he's taken aback that Elisha hasn't even come out to greet him. Surely Elisha knows who I am. He clearly sees I'm a man of status and power and prestige, and he didn't even come out to see me. Yes, Naaman, you have all of that, but you still got an issue that undercuts all you think is critical. You're not clean. You have leprosy. Naaman is angry that, that Elisha, the prophet, does not come out to see him. And then he lets that anger and that rage move into the next move, which is not only he's angry that the prophet doesn't come to see him, but then he says this, aren't there enough rivers in Aram and Syria for me to wash? Why would I have to come all this way to go into this river and wash? A few things and then I'll be done. Naaman cannot fully receive the directive in its simplicity because Naaman allows his expectations to kill his potential joy. I hope you get that, beloved. He allows what he thought should have happened and what he almost expected to happen to cloud the reality of the situation. Here it was, the man who suffered with leprosy, Naaman, the mighty warrior, the mighty man of valor, the man of prestige, position, wealth. And he missed the potential healing and the word for healing because it didn't meet his expectation. He thought the prophet would come out. He thought there'd be more to the process. He could not handle it. And all of that because he had expectations that got shattered by the prophet's simplicity. I hope you get that, beloved, because here's the real question. How many times have you missed joy because expectations you had were not met? How many times did you miss your own moment of breakthrough, your own moment of overcoming, your own moment to bask in a word that could liberate and set you free? A moment where you can see so many powerful things in your life come together. A moment where your issues would get dealt with and your healing would be on the agenda. And you might have missed it because it didn't come the way you thought it should. It didn't meet your expectations. Can you imagine being in need of that kind of healing, being in need of that kind of care, being in need of that kind of breakthrough and angry because the mechanisms of the miracle don't meet your expectations? Think about that, beloved, because now as you think about that, again, think about those moments in your life where you missed an opportunity because your expectations robbed you of the joy of the moment. You thought it would look this way, but then it came that way. You thought she would be this way, but then she was that way. You thought he would come this way, but he came that way. You thought the job would show up this way, but it came differently. You thought the path to success would be the plan you outlined, and then it came a different route. How many times did you miss the moment Taylor made for you because you let your expectations block you receiving what God wanted to do for you? Oh, I know what that feels like when what you've been praying about, what you've been hoping for comes, but it doesn't come the way you think. And sometimes because it doesn't come the way you think, you have a hard time receiving it. No, I need you to be honest this morning. I need you to really be honest and look back and reflect in those moments where shattered expectations prevented you from experiencing new joy. Where 
the thing you wanted to come came, but it came in a way you did not appreciate. And so you almost missed what could have been your moment because your moment came in a package you weren't prepared for. And in a way you did not desire. Oh, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like when you've been wanting something. And when that something arrives, it wasn't what you really wanted. You claim to be open to whatever God wanted to do until God moved and it wasn't really what you thought it should look like. You claim to say things like, any way you bless me, God, I'll be satisfied just as long as your blessing is in accordance with my expectation. And when it doesn't, you hang your head, you move with a heavy heart, all because your expectations were shattered. Maybe, maybe part of our challenge additionally is to just be open to the move of God, how it arrives. Because I got to tell you, it doesn't always arrive the way you think it ought to arrive. And most of the time it won't. And sometimes the answer to prayer it comes by way and means that you may not think are palatable. And sometimes the way God shows up in your life comes through people or comes through mechanisms that you'd rather label as undesirable. But your issue is not how it comes. It is that it comes. And if your expectations is for it to come a certain way, maybe you weren't really open to however God wanted to move. You wanted God to move in accordance with what you thought and how you felt. And I know that's a hard lesson to learn because I had to learn it myself. And it is tough when God says, hold on, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I see your needs and I know you have wants, but let me meet needs. And sometimes the meeting of your needs by God may offend your wants for yourself. And when God's meeting of your needs offend your wants, will you be courageous enough to let your expectation fall and receive what God wants to do in your life? Because at the end of the day, that is the real desire. God, move in my situation. Open doors or make ways. And, and sometimes if that's the desire, then let God move and be open to how God moves, even if God's movement is offensive to you. Because at the end of the day, it's not about your ego. It's about your breakthrough. And when that breakthrough is the ultimate agenda for your own healing, be open to God. Naaman learned that. One of his servants, when he saw Naaman's rage, says to Naaman, hold on. If it was something difficult the prophet asked you to do, wouldn't you have done it? But now he simply says, go and wash seven times, and now you're upset. That's another point of interest. What I've realized in this movement, in this journey, and in this God movement. Sometimes we overcomplicate the means by which God wants to move in our lives. God doesn't complicate it. We make it complicated. Because why? Of those expectations, those plans, those assumptions we make. And we want it to be a little bit more. We think it needs to be a little bit more complex. And what Naaman didn't realize is that it was giving him a lesson. Go in the Jordan. 
And here's the problem. The Jordan wasn't really like a river. It was more like a stream, and it was a dirty one. And what the prophet told Naaman was, go down in the dirty space. Go down in the grit and grime of the Jordan, and I promise you, you'll come up clean completely seven times. Immerse yourself in that muddy, murky water, and you'll come out better than when you went in. And I'm going to pause here end it there because here's what I realized. Sometimes those breakthroughs we desire not only come in ways we don't expect and not only ways that are offensive, but ways that are challenging to those assumptions that we make. Can you imagine that for Naaman, the way to his healing was to get in the dirt and the muck and the mire? Yes, that's what the challenge is sometimes. Sometimes the path to the thing we desire, the healing, may come through the grit and grind of life. It may come through, through those mechanisms that may seem problematic and troubling, may even come through people who seem problematic and troubling. But you cannot look at what it looks like. you got to be fixated on the outcome. And if your healing is on the agenda, your breakthrough is on the agenda, your sanity is on the agenda, sometimes, as the word says, you got to get a little dirty. In order to experience the fullness that God has for you. And if that is the case, you have to ask yourself, is the process and the offensiveness of the process going to cause me to miss the outcome of my healing? Anyone who's lived this life knows that anything that is worth something will cause a little struggle. There will be a little turmoil, a little grief, a little anxiety. But those things do not hold the final answer. And the prophet didn't tell Naaman to go into Jordan and live there. He said, dip seven times and come out and walk away and you'll be clean. In other words, it may not look palatable. It may not look pleasing. It may look dirty. It may look grimy. He said, but you won't be there forever. It'll be a temporary stay, but the outcome will be eternal. Because the scripture says when Naaman did what he was told to do, he went down to the Jordan, he dipped seven times, he came out, and he was restored like he was a young boy again. In other words, that temporary moment of the agony you may feel or the thing you don't want to do does not compare to the longevity of the breakthrough you will live with. And that is a thing you must remember. This moment right now that you may be in may feel like your Jordan moment. It is dirty and it is disgusting. And I'd rather not be here. I'd rather not be in this space in my life. I'd rather not be in this season of my life. I'd rather not be in this moment right now. But know this, it is not permanent. But when you come through it, when you come out of this season, when you come through this moment, you will be transformed in ways you cannot imagine. And if this little temporary moment of discomfort and displeasure is what it takes for you to come through stronger and better and wiser than you were before, so be it. And convince yourself and compel yourself to accept that this may just be what I need to go through to come out on the other side better than when I went in. And you, beloved, have to trust that. It doesn't always look the way it ought to look. It doesn't always come the way you think it ought to come. But you got to trust at the end of the day that I'm going to be better than I was going in. Don't let your expectations of how God ought to move rob you of the joy that God is moving. God is moving, beloved. 
Sometimes you don't always see it and sometimes you don't always feel it. But you got to know God is moving even right now. And sometimes you have to see that reality through your tears and through your pain. But you got to trust that in this season, God is moving. And maybe the greatest requirement of you is to be open to the move of God. Don't make assumptions about what it needs to look like. Celebrate when God begins to move. And, and then here's the thing. Sometimes a season of God's movement feels like a moment of struggle. It's temporary. It's temporary. You're coming out. You are coming out. And sometimes I learned in my life a long time ago, in my moments of pain and turmoil, that sometimes you have to find a new battle cry. And I learned this, and it may not be of everybody, but I had to learn this in the hospital, on my back, not knowing if I would live or die. If this is what I need to go through in this season to get to the other place, let it be. I'm strong enough to handle this. Let it be. Because this won't last forever. That thought kept me at times from losing my mind. That this temporary moment of struggle will not have the last word. When I come through and when I come out stronger, better, and wiser. Stronger and better and wiser. Stronger and better and wiser. Stronger and better and wiser. Come on, beloved. Come on, lean in. Let's talk to God. God, there are times when we feel disappointment. Disappointment because, well, we've been wanting you to move. We've been wanting you to make that way. We've been wanting you to open doors. We've been wanting you to order steps. But God, we weren't always honest to say that we wanted you to move according to our desires our plans, our time. God, help us to realize that it is not how you move, but it's that you move that is worthy of celebration. That we can't let our assumptions about the mechanisms of your movements or our expectations about how it ought to look prevent us from missing the joy of your arrival and the joy of your moving and working on our behalf. We are not alone. You are with us. And knowing that ought to caution us from dictating how, God, you ought to show up and the way you ought to move. So, God, we will be open to the mechanisms of your movement. 
and trust that you will bring us through, see us through. We'll be stronger, we'll be better, and we'll be wiser. Thank you for this reminder today, oh God. Thank you for pushing us a little bit more. But we are coming through. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. And we say amen. Amen. And amen, beloved. Oh, yes. Great is God's faithfulness, beloved. Great is God's faithfulness. We can never forget that. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Listen, beloved. I pray that this word spoke to you today as we prepare to transition. But most of all, I pray that it, it spoke to the parts of us that we know have felt disappointment. Not because God didn't move, but because God didn't move the way we thought God should have moved or, or the universe didn't respond the way we thought the universe should have responded. The truth is things don't always go our way and go the way we want. But it doesn't mean that things are not going our way. And we need to remember that. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.